Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Anita J, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today, excuse me, there's somebody unmuted. I'm hearing a little too much information. Star, star one, folks. Anybody talking to anybody? All right, and today is Tuesday, September 27th, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 151, the very beginning of A Vision for You, starting with the first two paragraphs. Uh, Today's readers are Robin B. on the 12 Steps, Diane G., the 12 Traditions, and our readers of the text this morning are Deb W., KDF, and Martha C. Overeaters Anonymous, oh, excuse me, the the, uh, share uh, for yesterday, Monday, September 26th, was 9109. 9109. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And now I will ask Robin B. to read the 12 steps for us. Good morning. This is Robin B., recovering um, compulsive eater in Missouri. Um, Here is our our 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them 
or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for His for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Robin. And now I will ask Diane G. to read the 12 traditions for us. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, um, recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. Our living God is he may express himself in our group himself and our group our conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in manners affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain for every non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you very much, Diane G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, 
everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, as I told you earlier, we're resuming our study of the big book on page 151, the very beginning of the chapter, A Vision for You. And we'll be reading the very first two paragraphs. The first one just for context. And I will ask Deb W. to start us off. Good morning, Deb. Good morning. This is Deb W. Recovered in Oklahoma. Am I clear? Can you hear me? Yes, beautifully. Thanks. Okay, thank you. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of king alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that his loneliness settled in, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion, an awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Um, unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. And so I was just kind of uh, uh, jotting down my thoughts as I read it. And, and I had my binge foods, and I was alone, and the blinds were drawn, and yet at the pit of my stomach, the loneliness set in. What would I, what would I look forward to when I woke was not family outing, was not the loved ones. My first thought was a promise not to end up where I was last night. And yet, you know, I was there. It was a firm restitution. You know, stay away from the binge food. Uh, Baffling followed with a compromise, a mental twist. So my compromise was a mental twist, was my mental twist. A brief suggestion that planted an idea, a desire revisited, and thought that dismissed uh, itself, but left just enough denial that if I chose to, I could toy with that thought. I could contemplate it, which is a dangerous place for me to do and to be. So in other words, I'm saying that if I had a memory of a, a certain binge food, you know, I could play with it. You know, I could think about it. You know, it, it gave me this little 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 bit of comfort to, you know, well, maybe it wasn't that bad, you know. Uh, I wanted my food, I wanted the intimacy, the affirmation that I was in control, a place where I could take time out 
just time out. I noticed that the people I ran with loved to convene at places and gave us permission to gorge. We laughed uh, about how much we ate and how stuffed we were. And then the next day came, you know, <laughs> the next day came when I couldn't believe that as much as I promised myself the day before, there I went. And and there was no, you know, no uh, bit of control, no bit of power to say no. I mean, this mental twist just dilutes any power that, you know, I may try to muster to say no. Um, so there was the... Uh, there was the denizens, the bewilderment, the terror of I can't believe I'm here, the bewilderment of what happened to all my firm uh, resolutions, and frustration with myself. And so what I do is I, I de degrade myself because I eat like this, because it makes me look like this when I eat like this, because I don't want to be with people. I want to be away and alone by myself. And then the despair of, you know, how to get out of this. You know, I know this isn't what God would have me be, you know. I know this feels bad. I know, you know, I am not presenting my best self when I am in the food, you know, when I am given attention to what I want rather than what's good for me. And so, you know, I've been in relapse before, and I've been in the denial, and I've been in the frustration because I knew the program at that time. I knew what it had to offer. But there was a part of me that didn't want it. There was enough of me that wanted my binge food that I would rather have it than to um, get clean. And so with that, I passed. Thank you very much, Deb W. And now I'll open up. Who would like to start us off? Sally. Tina S. Sally. This is Bella. This Melissa. is Bella. Can I share? Larry. Bella. Melissa C. Melissa C. All right, I have Sally, Tina S., Larry, Bella, and Melissa C. All right, let's just start with the five of you. Good morning, Sally. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service, Anita. Um, this is Sally A. in New York. And um, I love this. You know, I love that we're in this chapter of Visions for You. I feel like they're giving us another path at the instruction manual, and they're starting again from the beginning. They're starting again with that step one and describing the illness. And this paragraph starts with describing the isolation and ends with describing the level of fear. For me, it was a like a post-traumatic stress syndrome. I think the line may need to be cleared. Um, so this first sentence, the less people tolerated us, the more we were willing to withdraw. Leia, Connie, can you possibly... Let's, let's do that. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. So this first sentence, can you hear me, Anita? Yes. Okay, super. This first sentence, the less people tolerated us, 
the more we withdrew from society. So what's most interesting about that sentence to me is that I thought I was just isolating because I was in this deep love affair with the food. But the truth is I was also pulling away from my loved ones and isolating because I knew something was wrong with me. I knew that I had poor judgment. I knew that I had difficulty communicating with them without blowing up. I knew that I had um, a problem with setting healthy boundaries for them and for me. I knew that I was um, in an unhealthy relationship with many of the people around me. I knew that there was something wrong with me, so I withdrew. And it goes on to say here, as we became subjects, Slaves of king food, shivering denizens, that word means occupants of a kingdom, like we're living in a different planet, and that's the truth. And, you know, I I won't go into all these words, but the, the words of this paragraph thickened and blackened and sorted and moving into the four horsemen, which for me represented the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress stress syndrome that I woke up with every morning for so many years. But the important thing that I want to say this morning for myself is that I've moved into a place where I'm where I'm becoming more emotionally balanced, where I'm moving closer to my children, moving closer to my family, where I'm allowing myself to make mistakes and where I can say I'm sorry that I'm working on that, that that is a character defect of mine that I need to work on and that I can continue to grow among them and accept myself and my shortcomings because I'm full of them because I have been uh, a slave living in this, uh, occupying a kingdom that was really like an underworld of 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 uh, a, a sordid place in my mind where food was the master and it was the sole thought and of my entire day of what can I eat next. And so I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to continue growing and grateful to have the opportunity to be among you guys as we read these lines and be reminded of where I'm coming from and where I'm heading to. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you very much, Sally. And good morning, Tina S. Good morning, Anita. Thanks for your service. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. Wow. You know, these words really, really hit home in my uh, disease, you know. And I'll just steal from the previous paragraph. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. And then the last part of this paragraph is, and then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to the face, the hideous four horsemen. You know, I was so full of terror, you know, and I was confused, bewilderment, you know, and, and I was certainly annoyed of the inability to change with my frustration and the complete loss or absence of hope. And I was in despair, you know, and when I read this, I like what it talks about. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Well, let me just tell you, in my depths of my disease, I would read this page, and I certainly understood. You know, I certainly understood, and I knew that there was a solution. But there was some work to be done, you know. I, and just this is just for me, really, you know, because I know if I don't do the deal, I'm sorry, I don't get the deal. That's just the truth, you know. Um, I you know, I first came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1987, and I got the diet, man. You know, I really got the diet because I was a great dieter. You know, what happened from that, coming in as a compulsive overeater, I became an anorexic. You know, I was a great dieter. Did it, was it a solution for my disease? Certainly not. You know, and when I came back in in 1999, you know, I was done. 
I was certainly done. I had no other avenues, you know. I always prided myself on my intellect, and that was gone because I, you know, was down to 90-some pounds. I couldn't even think. So, you know, there you have it. And so today, you know, I just know that from the depths of my soul, one day at a time, I get up and I ask God to keep me sober, abstinent, and sane, and he does. And, um, and I do the work. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Tina S. And good morning, Larry Kay. Good morning, Anita. Um, <laughs> it's Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, this this disease, boy, it uh, it really robbed me blind. Um, you know, and one of the things you know, we read about, I mean, one of the things it robbed me of when I was disconnected from from my higher power was, you know, this you know connectedness, belongingness to others that we we need as human beings. I mean. There was the toxic mood swings, uh, the oversensitivity character defect. Um, I, boy, I was a hoarder of pain and loss, uh, you know, sort of owned by the toxicity of my past, you know, cheating and cutting moral corners, all that stuff. And it's, it's interesting how, um, I mean, there's no doubt this condition that we're afflicted with drives us towards uh, the frustration, despair, fear, isolation. And, you know, we pay a severe price uh, physically and mentally. And uh, and I didn't have to tra- travel too far to find these sordid places, these, uh, what is it, like these seedy, unsavory, shameful kind of places. And, and you know, now there's, there, there, you know, there, there's nothing inherently immoral, let's say, about a fast food establishment or a bakery. Or Yet I often found compatriots there who seemed to eat like I ate. And, and perhaps, you know, they would think the way I thought. And was there a chilling vapor of uh, of, of loneliness as I binged into to oblivion? Indeed, there was. And uh, and sometimes I suppose I simply wanted to disappear. Yet perhaps all I really wanted was to be found. You know, and I, I've heard it said that sometimes the person who desperately tries to keep everyone happy around them is often the most lonely person of all. You know, I mean, no person. Um, for any considerable time, can wear one face to himself and another to the the multitude of people around them without finally, you know, you become bewildered as to which mask am I wearing? Who am I? You know, and um, emotionally I became puzzled, bewildered as to who I really was. And if I'm to experience a, a fundamental change, which is what this program is, it's just about change. You know, if you come on the line every morning and you never do the to take the actions to treat your alcoholic mind, the actions prescribed in the big book, the the specific instructions, you're going to get, you might get entertained every so often. You might be moved to emotion, to tears, but you're going to be, one thing's for certain, you're going to be stuck in the quicksand. (laughs) You're not going to come here and just get this by osmosis. How do I know that? How do I speak with authority? Because that was me. (laughs) I came. Sometimes I was entertained. I was motivated. I was... uh, I was moved to emotion, to tears, and but but I was stuck in the quicksand because I wasn't ready to take the actions. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Larry. And good morning, Bella G. You're up. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Anita, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Yes, I understand because I was there. Thank you, God, I can say I was there 
and not anymore. I am not there anymore. You know, before the program, when I was in the food, the food was my friend, but it was my biggest enemy. I wanted so much to be with people, but I was running away from them because I was connected to my ego. And yes, I wanted to get their approval, but I didn't get. I wanted so much to be a successful person, but I was in jealousy. I was in anger. I was unhappy. Yes, I was unhappy. And as much as I was in the food, I ran away from, the, from people, and I was with myself. I was pity. I was unhappy. I was alone and lonely and always pity me, pity me. I was judge judgmental towards myself, towards the society, and for sure towards God too, because only because of God I am in this position. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And by leaving the steps one day at a time, I am connected to a higher power. And yes, thank you, God, today the food is not my friend. Today the food is a part of my life. And thank you, God, today I can eat without feeling guilty. And thank you, God, today I like the society and I am not with fear. I am not jealous. I know who I am, what I am, and thank you, God. Today I am connected to an accepting, loving power. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you very much, Bella G. And good morning, um, Melissa C. It's your turn. Hi. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And um, you know, I'm so grateful that we're reading this part because, um, you know, I, I need to stay in really close contact with the pain of this disease. And, um, you know, which is, yes, why it's so critical that we work with newcomers. But um, even for myself, I need to revisit just exactly where I was when um, when I said I've had it, you know, and this is really describing it. This is the jumping off point. You know, um, this, you know, when I think about um, being a subject of king alcohol, you know, for me, king food, um, I, there's no longer the lie that um, I'm eating because I really like food. You know, that's kind of what I would tell myself for so long. I really believe that um, I was a person who really enjoyed food, but um, this is not describing someone who's a foodie who enjoys food. This is a description of someone who's enslaved, and that is exactly where I was, you know. Um, at, the, at this point, um, I was terrified, you know. I, I felt like I was suffering from paranoia. I couldn't really determine what what was true and what was false, and, and that scared the life out of me because I kind of prided myself on being a pretty smart woman and um and I was you know I was smart with people or so I thought you know and at this point I couldn't interpret anybody's social cues anymore I was misinterpreting everything and um 
you know, and when they talk about um, the sordid places, you know, we go seeking out companionship as a food, um, you know, the sordid places were my car. You know, it was my car. It was um, downstairs in my house, sneaking downstairs in my own home while everybody was asleep. There was no companionship that I was seeking anymore. I was like a zombie, you know, chained to the food with nothing else to do. And, um, you know, the incredible thing is, is that I've recovered. You know, I've been at the place where I couldn't imagine life with the food and without it. And, you know, and if you're out there feeling that way, you're exactly in the right place. You know, you're in the right place to start. If we need to feel this bad before we have the ability to do the work that's required um, so that we can, you know, have a recovered life. Thank you. Let's that on pass. Thank you very much, Melissa C. Who else would like to share what was read? Monica T. Monica. Martha Z. Martha Z. Sarah W. Sarah W. Nessa R. Nessa. Katie F. Katie F. Penny K. Penny K. Carmela G. Carmela G. All right. Let's uh, start with Monica, then Martha, Sarah, Nessa, Katie, Penny, and Carmela. Good morning, Monica T. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. Again, I'm being struck by the title of this chapter, A Vision for You. And man, what a nasty vision we're being given in this second paragraph here. And and can't you just picture this as we become subjects, you know, those under the rule of another, of King, capital K, alcohol, capital A, you know, King Food, shivering denizens, what's a denizen, an inhabitant. A resident of this mad realm, this mad kingdom. You know, that's where I was. The chilling vapor, the mist that is loneliness settled down. Wow. You hear this picture and this fog is this fog is coming down and I'm all alone and I'm cold and I'm shivering and it thickens and it gets even blacker. You know, with this disease, it's a progressive disease. And towards the end, I was spiraling downward quicker and quicker and faster and faster and darker and darker and smaller and smaller was it becoming. And I sought out sordid places, yes, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. You know, and I think about momentarily, you know, once upon a time way back as you know probably as a young girl somewhere there was you know it was it was fun to eat and it was enjoyable and it served a purpose and it soothed my soul but it's a progressive disease and I found myself in this place here downward in this black pit and towards the end I think the only momentary um it, in whatever it wasn't joy or anything was there might have been a nanosecond of anticipation of that first bite you know I kept looking for something and it got so small there it was just a a nanosecond of anticipation but the moment that food hit my mouth it was done and over with 
There was nothing enjoyed about it. There was nothing enjoyable about it. It was a shoving. I was a, a steam shovel, you know, shoveling the food in my mouth. I tasted nothing. I enjoyed nothing. And what did it do to me? Yeah, it gave me oblivion. You know, I became unconscious, unaware. But what happens with oblivion? You know, I'm, I wanted to get away from things, forget things. But what happens with oblivion? I got to wake up. You wake up. And then what happens? And every time that awful awakening, you know, to face the hideous four horsemen, terror. And I've been sitting here looking up all these words, terror, intense fear, panic, bewilderment, extreme confusion of the mind, frustration, a deep chronic sense of insecurity, despair, hopelessness, have lost all hope, you know. I'd wake up, pound on the bar, go, how in the hell did I get here again? I was so bound to determine I wasn't going to do this again. I dug out all my willpower and my determination and my strength, but here I am again. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, Monica. Good morning, Martha Z. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. This is Martha Z. Um, I'm a Recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. And good morning, my friends in recovery. Um, the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society and life itself. Um, and this is so disease of isolation. I, you know, just wanted to hide in the house and, you know, draw the draw the blinds and eat. Um, and and. The chilling vapor that's loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. And I was thinking about, well, depression is is what I think about when I think about that. But I also thought about the part in Bill's story where he says, it's darkest before the dawn. And it was that dark. And I I know I've told the story before, but I mean, the day I left for treatment, it was pouring rain and the sky was totally black. So, I mean, I so relate to that that blacker and the awful awakening to the hideous four horsemen. And when I first started listening to the big book meetings on, on the phone, people would talk about the four horsemen and I'd think, Where is that in the in the book? And I remember I Googled it and, you know, sure enough it was in the in the beginning of Vision for You. And so terror, oh full of fear dread, scared to death of the future, bewilderment. I I don't know how I got there. I had no idea how I got there. Frustration was my most pervasive feeling. I thought I was supposed to make everything come out all right. And when everybody in my life didn't cooperate with that goal of me arranging this perfect family, I was totally frustrated all the time. People were not doing my script. Despair. Um, I, uh, previous show was talking about hopelessness. I did not want to do what I was doing. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I couldn't stop doing what I didn't want to do. I was in complete bondage. And I, if I had to live like that, I didn't want to be here anymore. That's how I felt. I had no clear suicidal plans, but boy, you know, that was, you know, that's what I thought. It, it kind of reminds me of the bedevilments on page 52. 
Anyway, so the other thing I just wanted to say is in the in the paragraph before, um, I just want to say today, recovery means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. And it's joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you very much, Martha Z. And uh, Sarah W., good morning. You're up. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. My name is Sarah W. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, I, I, I was going to uh, talk a little bit about page um, 52 also, um, uh, the bedevilments. And, you know, it, it really is so um, on target to what we're talking about now. But I was thinking about the people that I've spoken to recently that are in the deep despair um, and I really have a lot of compassion for those people. It is very painful to be there. You want out so bad and you're trying so hard and you know, to you know, just get me out of this place. I, I can't handle it anymore. And um you know, I was thinking that everything that I've gone through in my life has offered me a lesson in ways to help other people and so you know, in essence my my long relapse that I had, which was almost a ten year relapse, um was so painful and um you know I wasn't doing meetings I was just in the pit you know just um you know I would eat to sate the fears I would eat to to be rid of my own um uh, feelings of being a part of because I never felt a part of it I mean I would I would eat to numb myself out to such an extreme that I was really physically drunk um, and uh, there is such loneliness in that. Um, I, you know, I would eat in the bathroom. I would eat, um, you know, in the closet, um, seriously. Uh, I, I was not a person that ate in front of people, and um, it was a very lonely, lonely place. And, um, you know, I, I have to say there is a solution. And I, I just want to bring up on page 124, cling to the thought that in God's hands the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. You know, that that particular part of the book is probably one of my very favorites because it says that what I've been through and the sadness and loneliness and the degradation that I had makes it all worth it because I can share with another compulsive overreader that I too have been there. And, you know, this is, I think the reason why Bill put it in here is because we need to always remember that this is where we've been. We never get above this stuff. This is where we've been, and thank you, God, we are not there today. But we're only a bite away. I mean, if I think that I'm not going to do a 10-step and I let that go for any amount of time, there I am again. So it's a very serious problem, and, and it, but it has a very wonderful answer. And if you notice that the bewilderment on page 52, uh, are in, uh, the bedevilments are, are in the agnostic chapter, and that is the solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, Nessa R., it's your turn. Hi, thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. The phrase that brought me this morning is awful awakening. Uh, it just reminds me of the morning after, and boy, there were so many mornings after, M- many more than I, I really care to remember. But every morning, I would wake up 
to sing the national anthem of every single practicing addict out there. I will never do that again. Today is going to be different. Today is going to be the beginning of the rest of my life. But today is no different, no different at all, because life would start happening to me, good things and not so good things, and I just didn't know how to handle it, and I had no choice. I had no choice but to speak the truth yet again. And the truth is that while at the beginning uh, the food may have provided a sense of even comfort, it didn't do it anymore. Um, I just ate because I had no choice, because I just did not know what else to do. I, I, I did not know what else to do. I did not know how to control the food. Anything that had worked in the past had stopped working. The, the bulimia, the diet, the restriction, the exercise, nothing was working. And I didn't know how else to cope with life anyway. Um, so I just ate to cope, not even for the pleasure and enjoyment of, of the taste of whatever it is that I was eating. And there were so many of those mornings after. But I don't wake up like that anymore. I don't wake up anymore full of fear, guilt, shame, and remorse. Um, and so what has happened? Like, what is the difference? You know, because I had many, many mornings after, even in programs. What happened is that I found a sponsor who gave me a food plan and said, this is what you're going to eat. And then um, she took me to the wonderful 12 steps that are outlined in this book precisely as they are outlined in this book. And then I no longer needed the food to cope with life. I no longer needed the food for a sense of even comfort because... Now I'm getting my sense of even comfort from an even bigger power from God um, and from aligning uh, my day, my will, uh, and my life to his will for me. And so when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up with fear. Uh, I don't wake up with guilt or shame or remorse of what I did the day before because I know that day before I did what was right for the most part. The food was in its place, just, just meant to provide me with nutrition and energy so I could carry on and, and do God's will. And because I know that I have been of service, that I have been helpful to God, to my family, and to my fellows, and it's such a different feeling. It's, it's such, oh, time. It's, thank you. It's such an incredible feeling to wake up to. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Katie F., good morning. Good morning. This is Katie Up, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I think about um, where we are, that we've gone through the 12 steps and now, um, you know, a vision for you. This is kind of like what happens next. And, you know, that first year or two, depending on how much weight you have to lose, um, you can, you know, kind of be on a high. And all of this is all brand new. But then, you know, what they're describing here. Um, it's kind of where we live. That's where I live. That was normal for me, is that people didn't tolerate me, that I had withdrawn from society and from life itself. And I um, really didn't think that I would ever be able to 
get beyond that type of life, even in a thin body, even um, having worked the steps. I thought that I was going to do the same thing I'd done before, which was, you know, rinse and repeat. I mean, just go back to that same old um, thing. I didn't, I didn't think that there would be so much more life and new after new after new experience, adventure, um, ups and downs, highs and lows that I would learn how to experience in this new life. And, you know, I, um, I, as I'm reading these paragraphs, they are so much the internal mental uh, thing that is going on in someone's head. You know, I look at a a person um, overeating at a buffet and there could be a family of six and maybe one of them is truly a compulsive overeater and the rest of them just know how to just like eating a lot. And, you know, no one can look at the outside and know who is that true compulsive overeater. And, you know, if you're on this line this morning and you're just sitting there, you know, drinking coffee and, and eating donuts, you know, we have hope for you that it doesn't have to stay this way, that we have a way out and that um, this terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair can be a thing of the past. And I did not believe that. I thought that I was going to have to learn how to accept the misery that I was in and to just not be miserable about it. Um, And now, you know, a few years later, I realized that, you know, I have family members who still like to just go out and have a good time and have a nice meal. And they can go home and go to bed and they're not plagued and up scouring the cabinets and doing the things that I did. But that, uh, you know, that's why I can say I'm a grateful compulsive overeater because this solution has given me so much more beyond the food. And I don't have to live um, in that terror anymore. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Uh, Good morning, Penny Kay. You're up next. Just press star one. Penny Kay. Hi, thanks for thank you very very much. Thank you for your service today. My name is Penny Kay, and I am a compulsive eater in Connecticut. And the first thing that struck me about this par- these paragraphs were the old pleasures were gone; they were but memories. We could not recapture the great moments of the past. And I immediately noted down: I don't remember ever having old pleasures around food. For me, eating was always something that I felt guilty about because from my earliest childhood, I must have been 14 when I was popped on my first diet, um, food was something that made me feel guilty. Food was punishment. Food was reward. Food was I was eating too much. I wasn't eating enough. Food was something I had to exercise off. Um, I think the only behavior I never did was purge, but that was not because I didn't want to. It was just because I was too afraid to. I don't ever remember those old pleasures. Um, The less people tolerated me, the more we withdrew. It wasn't that people didn't tolerate me because I was eating. I was eating because people couldn't handle my social awkwardness. I was immature. Um, I had no idea how to have a conversation with someone my own age. 
I, I just couldn't do it. Um, and I always thought that food would be the thing that would socialize me with kids my age. Because I saw them, you know, eating lunch. And I wanted to eat lunch with them. And if they saw me eating lunch, then they would want to be with me. It's like, oh, my gosh, what a crazy thing. Um, what also sticks out to me is the idea of what normal people do. And most normal people really do enjoy, I mean, food is just, it is. Food is, it's a social lubricant. It's, you know, you get together, you have dinner, you do that kind of thing. I get together when I'm not in a place of conscious contact with my higher power. I get together with people and I wonder how come you're not finishing that last whatever on your plate. And my head is not necessarily in the conversation. It's what's on my plate. Um, But when I am in conscious contact with my higher power, when God has seen fit to remove the obsession from me, I really can. I can enjoy having a meal with other people because I'm focused not on what's on the plate, but what's around the room. I can focus on that conviviality, the companionship, the imagination. And the corollary is I know I am in spiritual trouble when the foods that I choose are the um, human equivalent of what looks like Alpo dog food. And I really know that I'm in trouble then. Um, I just, I love these two paragraphs. Thank you so much for letting me share. and Thank you for your service. I passed. Thank you very much, Penny Kay. And uh, Carmela G., you're up. Thank you. This is Carmela G. from New York. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah. Um, Hoping to find understanding and companionship and approval. That line jumped out at me because... um, I was not a closet eater. I was very open with my eating. To be loved and begged, please, Carmela, don't eat like that. You're going to be sick. You're going to destroy your health. No, no, it's okay. I just have to numb out. Please, I'll eat my regular food, but I want to numb out. And I knew what I was doing. And to live and have a successful career which I did, and to walk around and lead a group of women in healthcare and smile and say, good morning, how are you, and put on that payachi face and yet feel, when I was alone, the emptiness, the self-seeking of approval and all those activities. They thought I was the most caring person but I wanted to be loved by everyone. That approval was driving me, and it was driving me deeper into the food. The more I wanted it, the more I ate, and the food had a hold on me. It held me as a prisoner, and only through program. And later in my years, I was 67 when I got this program, I can't believe that it took me all those years, but obviously that's when God wanted me to get it. And then I realized it's an inside-out job. I had to let go. I had to stop controlling everybody's desire to love Carmela. 
I had to stop controlling everybody's life and be free and just be of service. And I was, I thought I was powerful when I was in the food. I wasn't powerful. I was a slave. And now that I have been recovered and I've put the food down and three years of abstinence, I love being free. I love to be able to be of service, the real service to people who, when they're being stressed, that I could be there, put out a hand, help them through, a stranger on the street who needs direction. That, to me, brings me joy, and I don't need to numb out and just disappear into the food and feel that loneliness. And that sadness, it's just such a freedom to have no longer to be captive. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Have a great day. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Carmela. And who would like to be our last uh, reader, a speaker? Renee C. Who was that, somebody C? Renee C. All right, Renee, please go ahead. Thank you so much for your service, and thanks to all on the line. This has been an incredible meeting, as it always is. My name is Renee C. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater one day at a time. Wow, this paragraph was really, like, hit me between the eyes. (laughs) Um, The more we withdrew from society, from life itself, the less people were tolerating us. And what all have shared already, that we became subjects of king alcohol. And it's so descriptive of where I was when I was in the food and in relapse. Shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. And then, of course, the four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. All those things I have known and I have experienced in my disease of compulsive overeating through the many years that I've been in the program and certainly through my relapse. And I also remember going for treatment my first time and then my second time after my relapse, 14 and a half years later, just beside myself. I knew if I said one more time, Today is going to be different. I'm not going to do this today. I was binging on healthy food. It was insane what I was doing, jumping on the scale a million times a day. I don't need to talk about that because we all know what that is. In recovery, I don't have to live that way. I have a loving higher power. I have this fellowship. I have a vision for you. I have my family. I have friends. I have people who love me and whom I love. And I don't love them because they love me. I love them because they are God's children, as am I. So with that, I will pass. And again, it's Renee C. from outside of Philadelphia. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Exactly on time. Um, I want to thank everyone who has shared. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And KDF, will you please read a vision for you? 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.